Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. And welcome to not just a sports report, more specifically, the UFC Charlotte Predictions Podcast. UFC going down in Charlotte, North Carolina this weekend at the Spectrum Center, headlined by a main event clash that is truly intriguing. Jarzinho Rosenstrike has to fight back in the ranks uh, to prove that he's ready to go to that next level and be the title challenger that we've known he could be. Up against the top prospect of the division, you have Gilton Almeida, a man who has been racking up finishes at both light heavyweight and heavyweight. This guy seems like the real deal, but it is the biggest test of his career. Five-round main event, Rosenstrike and Almeida. We've got a co-main event of Anthony Lionheart-Smith and Johnny Walker, uh, which holds a lot of relevance to the light heavyweight division going forward. You have D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez, up against the undefeated Irishman, Ian Machado-Gary. You have New Zealand's own, Carlos Allberg, Tim Means, Alex Morono, and a stack of other fighters across this card. And what today's podcast is all about, I'm going to go from the bottom of the card all the way to the top, a little bit of a preview, and give my prediction for each fight. Pretty simple, that's because it is, and now... There's nothing else to do, but get amongst it. UFC Charlotte, this is the Predictions Podcast. Kicking off the proceedings, we have a women's bantamweight fight between Australia's Jessica Rose Clark and UFC debutante Tayanara. Nearly fucking, it is Tayanara. Already second-guessing myself. Tayanara, Thai Panther, Lisboa. Uh, first official UFC appearance. She's on a three-fight win streak with a pro record of five wins and two losses. The 32-year-old has a lot of stoppages. In fact, all five of her wins have been finishes, three knockouts, and two submissions for Tayanara Lisboa. She has four first-round finishes, and she's from Sao Paulo, Brazil, hoping to get life in the UFC off to a positive start with a victory over Jessica Rose Clark. From Innisfail, Queensland, Australia, the 35-year-old enters this one on a two-fight slide of back-to-back first-round submission defeats last year against Stephanie Egger. That was really poor. It was, I went for her in both those fights, and it was really, really poor. I'm kind of close to giving up, but you got to support local, right? Uh, but Stephanie Egger and Julia Stoliarenko, both of them submitted Rose, Rose Clark in the first round last year. And overall, Jesse Jess has a UFC record of four wins and four losses. Now, there is the bounce back factor. Is Jessica Rose Clark, has she fixed the deficiencies in her game, which have been exploited big time? If she has, then she could be poised for a bounce back here up against a fighter who's having her first taste of what it's like to compete at the UFC level. 
Now, as far as gym, Jessica Rose Clark trains at Combat Sports Academy. Now, checking out some of the key notes I wrote down about this clash. Uh, for Jessie Jess, she has a professional record. I wrote 11 wins. I didn't write how many losses. Fucking hell. Absolute novice stuff this. I'll have to pull it up as we go. Um, so yeah, she doesn't just have 11 wins. She definitely has losses. Eight of them and one no contest. So 11, 8 and 1 no contest. Need to focus more when I'm writing the notes. Make sure I actually finish what I'm writing. <clears throat> 11, 8 and 1 no contest for Jesse Rose Clark. 55% of her wins have come by decision. 75% of her losses have come by decision. So plenty of her fights going the distance. 6 of her 8 losses by decision. She also has really poor submission defense. That was shown in her two fights last year. And so that's going to be the challenge here, because if she gets submitted again, that's probably the end of the road for her. But on to Tainara Lisboa, her opponent and the more unknown entity in this fight. Uh, now, Rose Clark has the experience advantage, but Lisboa, she's coming in on good form. She's going, uh, she's going in leaps and bounds, to be honest. Seven fights into her career to be inside the UFC already. Uh, she's going to go up against an Australian who's looking for redemption, but when you look at who's been in better form leading into this encounter, it's definitely Lisboa. Now stylistically, I expect the grappling element to play its part. I mean, how could you not try and grapple against Jessica Rose Clark, seeing what she's had to offer in her last two fights? Uh, but then on the flip side, I actually think Jessica Rose Clark is probably going to implement a bit of grappling as well. I'm sure she's been working heaps on it in the lead up to this fight, but yeah, I'm, the grappling department is probably what I'll be watching closest in this fight. I don't really know who has the edge in striking. And as far as their fighting styles, uh, Jessica Rose Clark, she's a freestyle fighter. She's a BJJ purple belt. Uh, but yeah, seeing how she got submitted in her last couple of fights, there is still plenty to learn. As for Tainara Lisboa, well, she has a chance to make an immediate impact. She has two submissions on her record, uh, so I would assume that is her path to victory. However, I'm going to pick Jessica Rose Clark. Uh, how? By decision. I'm not sure if she's got a finish in her. And as for why I'm choosing Jessie Jess, look, I have a lot of hesitancy. I picked her the last two fights, and she has been hugely disappointing. Uh, but sometimes you just got to support local. Rain, hail, or shine. So that's what I'm going to do here. Three strikes, and you're probably out in terms of me picking you to win. But she's only got two strikes. So let's see how she goes. I'm picking Australian Redemption in our opener. Jessica Rose Clark over Tainara Lisboa by unanimous decision. So we've locked it in. Jesse Jess up first. Now let's get amongst the second fight. We keep rolling, this time at 170 pounds, as Brian the Butcher Battle takes on gifted Gabe Green. I'll start with Brian Battle, a fighter that, honestly, I've had a vested interest in. He was on the Ultimate Fighter season under Team Volkanovski, and so automatically he was a guy that I took a liking to. And on the show, he continued to improve, and then he parlayed that into a hugely impressive start in the UFC 
He was in former Ultimate Fighter middleweight winner, uh, and he represents Hyastan MMA. Now, Brian is 28 years old from Charlotte, North Carolina. So he is going to have a huge pop when he makes that walk, fighting in front of his hometown, friends, family. Uh, the underdog in this fight, he is definitely going to be up for a big showing. Now, Battle has five wins by submission. He's a freestyle fighter, and he carries a UFC record of three wins and one loss. Now, that one loss was in his most recent fight, but I'm going to quickly dial it back. And at one stage, Brian Battle was riding a nine-fight win streak. So that really broke his good run of form. Uh, but I first saw Brian on Tough Enough, Tough Enough. That was the fucking WWE one back in the day. The ultimate fighter. Goodness gracious. Uh, 185 pounds. So he's dropped down to welterweight since winning. Uh, but Brian, he opens up with a win over Cameron Lachinov. Then he submits Andre Petrosky, who honestly at that stage was looking like he was the favorite to win since being signed with the UFC and been racking up the Ws. Brian Battle beat him at his own game, submits him. Then he gets Gilbert Urbina in the finals, who was his teammate on the show uh, because Trayshawn Gore was injured. So he had a substitute. Brian Battle wins by second round submission. He is crowned the ultimate fighter. There's still conjecture, though, that Trayshawn Gore, if he was fighting that day, would Brian Battle be the ultimate fighter? Well, we found out, yes, he would. He fought Trayshawn Gore and beat him by unanimous decision to unanimously be crowned the ultimate fighter middleweight winner. Then after that, Brian moves down to welterweight and couldn't get off to a better start. 44-second head kick knockout of Takashi Sato, and his stocks were really starting to rise. Then, Brian takes a short-notice opponent and gets absolutely ragdolled for 15 minutes. Uh, a big, big call to take a short-notice match against Renat Fakhradinov, who is 20-1 and and now riding a 19-fight win streak. Uh, so he went up against absolute world-class competition, but I do wonder, does Brian Battle learn from this and improve? Or has that exposed a major deficiency in his game? Well, we'll find out because he has an experienced opponent who's going to know uh, how to exploit him if he's able to. That being gifted Gabe Green with a UFC record of two wins and two losses. Uh, he has two decision losses in the UFC to Daniel Rodriguez and Ian Machado Gary who are both fighting uh, on this card, funnily enough, against each other. Uh, and for the wins for Gabe Green, had a decision against Phil Rowe and a technical knockout finish over Johan Lennes. So gifted Gabe Green, stylistically, he's a test for anyone, especially someone like Brian Battle. Uh, Gabe is a freestyle fighter, 30 years old and representing sub-fighter MMA. And Gabe Green has six wins by submission, four by knockout slash TKO, and five first-round finishes on his resume. So this tells me that we're in for a very fun fight. I've seen plenty of both of these guys uh, to know that stylistically they're both going to challenge each other. The winner of this, they're going to learn a lot during this fight, and they're going to be able to take that experience and build on it. Now, when I run my eye over the tail of the tape, uh, look, I think Gabe has the better cardio 
so he can really afford to push the pace. But other than last time, when I saw Brian battle, every other time, he keeps getting better every time we see him. So I think he'll be able to put that Renat loss behind him and come back better and stronger in this contest. Battle also has a significant advantage in size and reach, uh, so he'll be able to use that, utilize range. Uh, Gabe Green, not someone who goes out there rushing for the finish, so if this is more of a chess match, uh, more technical and strategic minded, I think that will work for Battle because he's got the reach advantage and he can kind of afford to choose when to put the foot down and when to just kind of download data and see what Gabe Green's throwing out there. So handy to have the reach advantage in this one. And Brian, the Butcher Battle, enters with a professional record of eight wins and two losses. Now his two losses, one was a 51 second armbar submission loss. The other was a decision in his last fight. And as for Brian Battle's wins, six of eight wins have been inside the distance. And he's also got the hometown factor here. Crowd are going to be right behind the underdog. And he's a former Ultimate Fighter winner. Usually that's not too bad a sign that you got a bit of that X factor. So this could be a real coming out party for Brian Battle. But if there's someone in terms of an assignment that is more than capable of spoiling this homecoming party, it's Gabe Green, no doubt. Green carrying a pro record of 11 and 4 into this one. 10 of 11 wins have been finishes. So Gabe Green, if he starts to get on top of Brian Battle and Brian starts to put his head down, acts a bit defeated, a bit dejected, Gabe Green will put him away. There's no doubt about that. Uh, as far as the four losses for Gabe, two knockout losses, two decisions. And that leads us to our prediction. Second fight on the card, I'm going Brian Battle, more just from like a personal bias standpoint that I'm kind of following his career and hoping he goes well. Gabe Green though is like the perfect test for someone like a Brian Battle right now. Gabe Green is someone who'll separate the men from the boys, no doubt. Like your mid-range kind of average fighters, Gabe Green will finish them. There's no doubt about that. But then your prospects who look like they could really make something of themselves and have a run of significance within the promotion, guys, guys like Ian Machado Gary, they seem to be able to beat Gabe Green. But then again, Gabe's two losses in the UFC, both by decision, up against Machado Gary and Daniel Rodriguez, both who are no strangers to a finish. So it seems like if you want to beat Gabe Green, You've got to be in there for 15 minutes. You're not going to get him out of there. Uh, so you've got to beat him throughout the entire fight. Big ask, but I'm going to go Brian the Butcher Battle. Uh, this, just from like a personal standpoint, I'm following Gabe Green's career as well, but Team Volk, baby. Team Volk. I know Volkanovski is not in his corner or anything like that, but Team Volk. Once Team Volk, always Team Volk. And I like Brian Battle. I like him a lot, so that's who I'm going with. Brian Battle over Gabe Green. I expect this one to go the distance, uh, so let's lock it in, shall we? Brian Battle over Gabe Green by decision. Now, let's get on to the next contest.
Alright, there's a couple of fights on this card that I've already previewed before and then they were scratched. So we've got two of three back to back right now. So these next two are going to be replay rapid picks for rescheduled fights. First one, women's flyweight. We've got South Korea's Jeon Kim up against Germany's Mandy Bohm. Jeon Kim, four straight losses. Hardly the form you want if you want to stick around in the UFC. She has an overall record of nine wins, six losses, two draws. Now, Jeon Kim, her last win was back in October 2019, uh, but it was the second time in a row she'd missed weight. So last time she won was 2019. She'd missed weight. Since then, four straight losses. All six of her career losses have been by decision. So Jeon Kim yet to be finished across her career. And in her last bout... She lost by decision against Jocelyn Edwards. A lot of people had Jiyun Kim winning that fight. I picked Jocelyn Edwards and I had my money on her, so I'll take it. Uh, but yeah, four straight losses for Jiyun Kim. She has two fight of the night performance bonuses, uh, but she lost in both of those fights, let it be known. Opposing Jiyun Kim this weekend, Mandy Monster Bohm with a professional record of 7-2 and won no contest. Now, prior to the UFC, Mandy racked up seven consecutive wins, uh, but since arriving on the biggest stage, zero wins, two losses. Back-to-back -back decision losses against Ariane Lipsky and then Victoria Leonardo. The Kung Fu fighter from Germany, she needs to turn things around. Now, she trains at Extreme Couture, so her corner is world-class. If anyone's gonna turn her around, it's Extreme Couture, but both these ladies Need a win badly. Prediction, I'm going Jiyun Kim by decision. I'm pretty sure that was my original OG pick. To be honest, this fight doesn't doesn't excite me a whole lot, respectfully. So um, I can't even remember what my original pick was, but I know what my pick is now, so we're going to lock it in. Jiyun Kim by decision. Uh, fuck, I have no idea who wins this. Like, it's just a flip of the coin. You've got someone on a four-fight losing streak up against someone who hasn't won at UFC level. So I'm going to go with Jiyun Kim. She's been performing all right. Her fights have been decent. Uh, she's just been on the wrong side of the uh, judges' scorecards. So this time, hopefully she can get on the right side because I'm going to pick her to break this losing streak. Jiyun Kim over Mandy Bohm by decision. That is the rapid pick. And now we move on up the card. And we've got another rapid pick. Let me just work out where I'm at time-wise for my timestamps. And let's jump straight into it. The next replay rapid pick. Pete Dead Game Rodriguez dropping down to 155 pounds to take on the Israeli prospect Natan Lethal Levy, who is chasing his third straight win. Now, Syndicate MMA's Natan Levy has an 8-1 pro record, three wins by submission, five by decision and taking a look at Natan's run so far in the UFC uh, he was a contender series graduate class of 2020 Natan he's a striker with an incredible physique the weight cut must be tough the dude looks like a bloody statue now Natan lost his UFC debut so there was a bit of fanfare uh, when he was entering into the mix that he could be a real prospect uh, but he loses in his debut uh, loses the O on his record as well. But since then, back-to-back -back decision wins for the Israeli 
over Mike Breeden and Gennaro Valdez. Now, taking on the 31-year-old Natan Levy is the 26-year-old Pete Deadgame Rodriguez, a former welterweight representing Dominate MMA and dropping down to the lightweight ranks. Rodriguez has a 5-1 pro record that won Jack Della Maddalena, a knockout. Pete Rodriguez took that on short notice. I mean, talk about a fucking big ask. Since then, I mean, you can't really critique that performance, seeing what Jack's gone on to do. And huge debut. So 5-1, and one, Pete Rodriguez, that one loss, a knockout against Jack Della Maddalena. As for his five wins, dead game has five wins, five first-round Shadow Realm knockouts. All of them. One of those knockouts where the dude doesn't just get up afterwards. Certainly no one's protesting it. These are the kind of knockouts where the dude stays down face-first on the mat. Not the kind of thing I personally like to see, but this just tells you about the freakish power in the hands of Pete Rodriguez. Now, October 2022, he gets his first win in the UFC, uh, this at welterweight, 93-second knockout, performance of the night over Mike Jackson, the famous Mike Jackson, with a record of one win, two losses, and one no contest against CM Punk. Uh, so Pete Rodriguez, I picked him by knockout in that one. It was kind of like, if you can't beat my, Mike Jackson, if you can't knock this guy out, uh, if you lose to him, where do you go from there? You can't fight backwards from there. So he had to win, and he did. Now he drops down to lightweight. So I wonder, he, he's probably confident he can retain that power. Uh, but 170 down to 155, it's not like a 10-pound a jump. It's a bit more, so... That's something I'm really interested in. How does Rodriguez fare with the weight cut? Uh, but when I talk about his explosive finishes, five wins, all first round knockouts, the total time of Pete Rodriguez's wins, now his one loss, <clears throat> excuse me, fucking hell, his one loss was around three minutes against Jack Della Maddalena. But from the five wins, in total, it's lasted five minutes and 30 seconds. So. He's a fast finisher, he's an explosive finisher, he's a powerful finisher, but I'm going to go with my OG prediction. They were supposed to fight a couple of weeks ago. I was going to go Natan Levy by decision. Don't mind the knockout either. If, uh, if Rodriguez doesn't cope with that weight cut, Natan Levy could finish him, but I, I find this a tough one to pick. Natan Levy, he's been hit before and got back up, but if he gets hit by Pete Rodriguez... He's probably not going to get back up, so he's got to be careful. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, I've already done my tape, done my research a couple of weeks ago, made my pick, and I'm sticking with it. Natan Levy, by decision, we're locking it in. I think he can avoid that explosive power, Pete Rodriguez. And as the fight goes on, Rodriguez has never been out of the first round. So as the fight goes on, Rodriguez, with that weight cut especially, uh, Fatigue's going to set in, and I think Natan Levy can really wrestle control throughout the fight, get it done on the scorecard. So let's lock it in. Natan Levy by decision, and on to the next one. Bantamweights take to the octagon next as Cody Stamen meets up with Douglas Silva D'Andrage at 135 pounds. 
What's at stake in this one though? I think top 15 calculations. Both guys are hovering just outside of that top 15. So for the winner, they can move forward and get another higher profile matchup next. So plenty at stake in terms of trying to crack the rankings whilst a loss would set the man or the loser back uh, quite a lot behind a stack of informed prospects. Now let's have a look at the tail of the tape. Cody, the Spartan Stamen, professional record of 21, 5, and 1. Stamen is a 33-year-old American training at Extreme Couture. He boasts a UFC record of 7 wins, 4 losses, and 1 draw. Now along the way, Cody Stamen has racked up wins over the likes of Brian Carraway, uh, Brian Kelleher, and Eddie Wineland. So he's had a few notable wins. He's lost to the likes of Sidnamagomedov. I thought that was funny because Stamen, his walkout song was Staying Alive, and then he got finished in like a minute. Uh, he's also lost to Marab Davlashvili, Jimmy Rivera, and the champion, Aljamain Sterling. So the guys he's lost to have been pretty high caliber athletes. Now Stamen is a freestyle fighter, six wins by knockout, two by submission, five first round finishes. He's chasing his third straight win after back-to-back -back victories over Eddie Wineland, where he finished him in emphatic fashion, and a decision over Luan Lacerda. But standing across the cage this weekend from Cody Stamen is Douglas Silva, a 37-year-old Brazilian with a record of 28 wins, 5 losses, and 1 no contest. The Corinthians MMA product has wins over the likes of Sergei Morozov, Chito Vera, and former champion Renan Barral. Now, Douglas Silva, he has some explosive victories, none more so than his round one knockout win over Gaetano Perillo a couple of years ago. And as far as notable losses for Silva, he too has defeat, uh, been defeated by Syed Namagomedov. He's also lost to Piotr Jan, Rob Font, Lerone Murphy. Uh, and throughout his UFC run, Douglas Silva de Andrade has racked up a UFC record of 6 wins, 5 losses. The Muay Thai fighter has 20 wins by knockout. That's right, 20 wins by knockout, 11 first round finishes, and victories in 2 of his past 3 outings. Now, it was a decision loss last time out for Douglas Silva against Syed Namagomedov. Went the distance, but didn't get his hand raised at the end. Now, as far as dimensions heading into this fight, the height and reach advantage lays with Douglas Silva. I also believe he's the more powerful fighter, but Cody Stamen's got a lot, a lot of power as well. So I expect this to be a fight where I'm on the edge of my seat because at any moment, someone could get finished. I had a look at the Australian betting odds. Cody Stamen is the favorite at $1.62 head to head. I do not down here in Australia fuck with this plus 500, minus 500. Someone explained it to me and then I understood and then I forgot and then I was like, you know what? Who fucking cares? I'm not going to have to use the system. I use the Australian system. So if you're American and you're like, what's $1.62? Isn't it minus 500? I don't fuck with that. Um, yeah, $1.62 favorite, Cody Stamen, Douglas Silver, $2.30 dog. And I'm going with the underdog here. I'm going to go with Douglas Silva de Andrade. One thing that makes me kind of hesitant is his age. He is getting up there, 37 years old. 
uh, to be competing at the highest level. But I do think he's got all the tools. Got fantastic striking, uh, really quality grappling. So I think this one goes the distance. And using a combination of his striking, winning those exchanges, uh, as well as just not taking too many shots, I think De Silva can get his hand raised. He has so much power. I keep saying it, but it's his power. Same with Stamen, uh, that really puts this contest into the spotlight as a banger. But we're going to lock it in. I'm going to jump on an underdog. Got a couple of dogs last weekend, actually. Uh, Vienna Jandaroba being one of them. Bilal Muhammad being another. So let's throw, throw another line out into the sea and see if we get any bites, shall we? Another underdog. Let's lock it in. Douglas Silver by decision. Now, on to the next. Okay, we've got another rapid replay pick. This, another fight that I've already broken down and picked a winner for. This is a rebooked heavyweight showdown between Carl Williams and Chase Sherman. Now, Carl Williams, he has an 8-1 record, rides a five-fight win streak into this one, and he's a contender series graduate. Carl Williams appearing on the show uh, last year, and he's already debuted within the UFC uh, he won a unanimous decision against Lucas Bresky. And in that fight, much like a lot of the fights, I've gone through and watched all, all the fights I could find from his career. Wrestling, that is the style of Carl Williams. That is what he implements uh, to put some of these big guys with serious knockout power, to put them down on their back and take away their biggest weapon. So Carl Williams, he used that wrestling uh, in his last fight. I expect him to use this here. Because Chase Sherman, whilst he has lost a fuck ton, super durable, super durable. So I don't know if Carl Williams, oh, excuse me, dropped my phone. Don't know if Carl Williams is going to be able to get him out of there. I think if he does, it's by submission. Because Chase Sherman, he can take a lot of shots. The one thing though with Chase, the vanilla gorilla Sherman, is that he's in he's in pretty bad form. Now he has 15 wins by knockout. So Carl Williams. He's going to need that wrestling. Otherwise, Chase Sherman is really going to push the punishing pain on him. Push the punishing pain. Where the fuck did I pull that from? A lot of P's there. Now, the Jackson Wink representative has a record of 16 and 11. So Sherman, 16 wins, 15 of those by knockout, 11 losses. And losses in five of his past six. So the only win he's had was a finish over Jared Vandera. Chase Sherman, Jared Vandera are like the measuring stick for entry level, super respectfully. But in terms of when I'm looking at like new heavyweight prospects coming in, like Waldo Cortez Acosta, uh, who that was Chase Sherman's last fight, lost that by decision. Again, Sherman losses in five of his last six. That one win was against Jared Vandera. I have them both as like, I would expect fighters who have top 15 aspirations to beat these guys just based on form what i've seen vandera and sherman both bring a lot to the table both have a lot of knockout power uh, but they just they haven't been able to get it done at ufc level so essentially that's my test here for carl williams is he above that again respectfully as respectfully as possible is he above that lowest tier of the UFC heavyweight division, a division that is quite shallow. 
at the moment. But these are more bottom-end guys. So where does Carl Williams stand in all of this? He's a smaller heavyweight, has fought at light heavyweight before, uh, so he could be prone to getting knocked out. But I'm going to go with my OG pick. My original pick was Carl Williams by decision, and I'm sticking with it. We're sticking with the OG pick. Uh, can he prove that he's above, like, the lowest? Again, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but, like, look at how many times Vandera and Chase Sherman have lost. And there's kind of, like, this kind of... Like, I'd throw Jake Collier in there as well. Maybe, like, a Chris Barnett. Chris Barnett might even be a bit higher level. But, like, your Jake Collier's... Your Chase Sherman's, your Jared Vandera's. There was like another. There was another one. I can't. Maybe they've cut him. I don't know. But there was a few guys. Oh, Carlos Felipe. Yeah, he was fucking. I won't even say it because that is disrespectful. But yeah, there was like this whole group of real lower level guys fighting each other heaps. And then Andre Arlovsky has been kind of the test because Arlovsky, he's just a bit older, but he is not on that bottom tier. Uh, but. He's kind of the measuring stick for these guys at the lowest level to advance forward. And a lot of them haven't. Arlovsky's beaten a lot of them. Like Sherman, I'm pretty sure he beat Vandera as well. So, Carl Williams. I like what I see. I think he's above the bottom level. And I think his wrestling gets it done here. Let's lock it in. Carl Williams over Chase Sherman by decision. And that leads us to our featured prelim. Let's get amongst it. Before we sink our teeth into the Charlotte main card, we've got two veterans in the spotlight featured prelim position. Matt the Immortal Brown, a welterweight legend, up against Court the Crusher McGee, with McGee looking to respond from the first career knockout that he's had over such a long run last time out. Court McGee absolutely wrecked by the rampaging Jeremiah Wells. Whilst Matt Brown only has one win from his last four starts, that being a finish over Diego Lima. Uh, And in his last appearance, a split decision loss for Matt Brown. Fight of the night honours, but a loss against Brian Bam Bam Barbarena. Now I'll start with Matt Brown, a fighter who still holds the record for the most knockouts in UFC welterweight division history. He has 25 wins, 19 losses, with 16 wins by knockout. Now he's 42 years young, uh, but his best knockout days definitely behind him. He seems to have lost a bit of that trademark power. But nonetheless, the American UFC veteran, he's going to be down, down to brawl in this fight. That's his style. He is a brawler. Uh, And over his time in the UFC, he's amassed a record of 16 wins. 13 losses up against the absolute best the division has to offer. Now, when I looked online, UFC.com had Matt Brown's gym as none. I was like, wow, that's bold, not having a gym. Uh, Sherdog.com had it, fucking drop my pen, uh, as a mortal fight team. So maybe he started his own gym. Or maybe there is just no gym and he just goes, fuck it. And the UFC's like, you want to fight? And he's just like, yep, rolls off the couch, comes in. He's done it that many times before. But he's got a fellow veteran of the game up against him this weekend, does Matt Brown, in court the crusher McGee. A record of 22 and 11, five knockouts and six submissions on his record. And the 38-year-old from Utah 
trains at Factory X. Now, Court McGee, coming off the first knockout of his career, has been technically knocked out by Santiago Ponzinibbio, but has never been clean, flush, knocked out. That was until the Jeremiah Wells fight. Uh, but the thing with Court is he's uber resilient, super hard to get out of there. Nine of 11 losses for Court McGee have been decisions. He's an ultimate fighter, season 11 middleweight winner, and he has a record of 10 and 10 in the UFC. So 20 fights in the UFC, 10 wins, 10 losses. Uh, this is just more two veterans going at it, not so much a, a fight that has implications for the rankings. And going back to Matt Brown, uh, as I said, the record for most knockouts in the UFC welterweight division, 12 knockouts in the UFC. Uh, so stylistically, there's kind of your matchup. Court McGee, usually very resilient, so he's not going to just wilt as soon as Matt Brown lays hands on him, but he is coming off a devastating knockout. So that's kind of, stylistically, it's like Court and his wrestling and just being able to kind of control the fight up against Matt Brown and his striking. And we're going to have to see where Matt Brown's striking is at, whether it's up to the usual standard, and exactly how much power does he still have in the hands. Now, stylistically, uh, for Court McGee, he's got to avoid the strikes. Uh, but for Matt Brown, he needs to avoid the grappling, or at least not give up top position. Ten of Matt Brown's losses... Uh, how many losses has he had? 19. 10 of them have been by submission. So there's very clearly a path to exploit there in Matt Brown's game. However, he's a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Court is only a purple belt. So if you look at the belt discrepancy, you'd have to suggest that the Immortal will have the answers to Court McGee's offense. Uh, but that is definitely worth noting. 10 losses for Matt Brown by submission. That is a glaring uh, path to victory. As far as advantages, Matt Brown, the significantly better striker, both with power and accuracy. It's, not, it's just not Court McGee's back. He's at his best when he's hugging and just basically just wearing on you. Whereas Matt Brown, he is far better when you look at the striking numbers, but he needs to avoid being smothered by Court McGee because Court has done that before. Look at the Ramiz Brahimaj fight. Uh, and he could easily do that to Matt Brown here. But I just think Matt Brown's striking is going to prove a point of difference. I see this one going to, to decision. So I see Court McGee having a fair bit of control time. But Matt Brown, he's a BJJ brown belt. So I think he'll be able to work out uh, how to get out of these situations. And I just I haven't seen enough from Court McGee over a 20-fight sample size in the UFC to suggest that he's going to come out and just start fucking putting hands on Matt Brown. Now, that could happen. Jordan Monkey King-Levitt in his last fight wouldn't have picked him to win by knockout, uh, but I just think there's a discrepancy on the feet. So what worries me about going with Matt Brown? In most cases, I'd be kind of nervous about going with a 42-year-old fighter. I think once you hit 40, it's like be very hard to do the weight cutting all that jazz but Matt Brown he's still here and he's got a decent level of activity for someone of his age so I'm going with Matt Brown this seems like a danger matchup but yeah point of difference the striking so let's lock it in the UFC Charlotte featured prelim I'm going to take Matt Brown by decision 
and that'll lead us into the main card. Headlined, of course, by Rosenstrike and Almeida. There are four other fights as well, including my fellow Kiwi, Carlos Blackjag Allberg. And look, we're making decent time. I've already got through all the prelims. So, look, why keep blabbering when we can just get amongst it? UFC Charlotte Predictions Podcast. It is time to get amongst the main card. Plenty of welterweight fights across this UFC Charlotte card. And that is very much the theme for our main card opener. We have Alex the Great White Morono with wins in four of his past five up against Tim the Dirty Bird Means, who is on a two-fight slide and looking to re-enter the win column. Now, I'll start with Alex Morono. He has a record of 22 wins, eight losses, and one no contest. And looking at some of his 22 wins, six by knockout, six by submission for the Great White. Now, Alex is coming off a short-notice loss against Santiago Ponzinibbio, in my opinion, up until the third round when he got knocked out, I actually thought Alex Morono was winning the fight. He looked incredible given it was such short notice. He was commanding the fight, uh, but Santiago managed to knock him out toward the end. So he's coming off a loss, but he does have wins in four of his past five. So he's in good form, is Alex Morono. And the Fortis MMA product has a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and he has also a Taekwondo ba- uh, black belt. So Alex Morono with quite a varied arsenal that he can draw from in this contest. He'll be taking on Tim Means, who has a record of 32 wins, 14 losses, one draw, and one no contest. Quite the decorated career. And Tim Means has 19 wins by knockout. 19 of 32 career victories have come by way of knockout. He also has five submissions on the resume. Uh, So Tim Means... A very exciting fighter. However, he is coming off back-to-back losses, was submitted by Kevin Holland, then at the end of last year, loses a split decision up against Max Payne Griffin. So Tim Means, he wants to get things back on track here. And the striker's been with the UFC since 2012. He's a two-time performance of the night bonus winner. And Tim Means against Alex Morono, this is going to be a great way to set the tone for what lays ahead. Now, stylistically, I'm expecting this one to go the distance. Tim Means, uh, definitely a fight finisher. Alex Morono, not as much. I I think he'll be happy to be patient in this one, not rush into any dangerous positions. And I do expect the striking element to play a part stylistically. Um, Thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, I think Tim Means has the striking edge, and Alex Morono has been knocked out three times, so that, that could come into play if Tim Means gets a finish, most likely a knockout. Uh, but for Morono, I believe he has the grappling edge. So in terms of submission game and things like that, I think Morono is much more of a finishing threat. Tim Means, six losses by submission. So that does seem kind of like an area that Morono can exploit in this one. And as far as my final thoughts, look, I just think a good quality fight to get the card started. Alex Morono, if he wins, he would be in and around that top 15 mark. Maybe not a ranked opponent next, 
but if it's not a ranked opponent, it would have to be someone right outside that top 15. So hugely important for Alex Morono, and likewise for Tim Means, who he just wants to get uh, back in the winner's column. Both guys coming off a loss, a hugely important crossroads for their career. It's going to be a fun one, and I'm going to back Alex Morono. Like I said, I think this fight goes the distance, and in terms of who has the overall tools uh, in a lot of different areas, I believe that's Alex Morono. So I don't know exactly how he's going to get it done if it goes the distance, uh, but I, I just think 29-28. I think Alex Morono, I just, I trust more in a fight like this. I really liked what I've seen from him in his last five or so outings, and it seems like the Great White is really coming into his own. However, Tim Means is very dangerous, so Morono needs to make sure he's not eating too many shots because the Dirty Bird will put him away with no hesitation. But I'm going to go Alex Morono here. I just think in a tight 15-minute contest, he's just got a few more tricks to draw on, especially in the grappling department. That could honestly, uh, grappling and control time, could be how he gets this one done. Because if he wants to keep this on the feet for too long against Tim Means, he might end up getting pieced up. But let's lock it in. UFC Charlotte main card opener. I'm going to take Alex the Great White Morono to get it done over Tim Means. Alex Morono by unanimous decision. Now, let's get amongst the next. Up next, two big units throwing down. This can only be described as a hoss fest. Light heavyweight action between my man, uh, but I'm not his man. We've actually never fucking met each other. But he's from my hometown, representing Auckland, New Zealand. That is Carlos Blackjack Ulberg, who's looking to continue this hot run of form. The 32-year-old Kiwi from City Kickboxing taking on Ihor, the duelist Poteria. Uh, 26-year-old from Kiev, Ukraine, uh, and he's coming off a pretty big win. But I'll start with Carlos Ulberg from Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, as I mentioned, a 7-1 and one pro record. Five wins for Carlos by way of knockout. Four of those coming in the very first round. Now, Ulberg carries a three-fight win streak into this one. And the kickboxer, look, he has one of the great gyms worldwide in CKB, uh, and he carries a 3-1 UFC record into this clash. Now, Ulberg's UFC run, it started with Dana White's Contender Series. Ulberg had to prove himself in the cauldron that is the Contender Series, and didn't he just prove himself? First round knockout over Bruno Oliveira. That earns Black Jag a contract, uh, but in his UFC debut, Carlos suffered his only loss to date, uh, up against Kennedy in Zechiku. So he was 4-0 entering the UFC, then a second round knockout loss against Kennedy in Zechiku. And that actually, despite being a defeat, seemed to be the turning point for Carlos Ulberg. Now he came out after that loss and he had a decision win against Fabio Charant. Now, a decent technical performance, but by no means an exciting fight. Uh, but for Carlos, it was more just about re-entering the winner's column. Since that win, well, he's racked up another two, 
Back-to-back first-round finishes for the Kiwi over Tafon Nchukwi and Nikolai Inegamarianu. Uh, he's someone that's actually faced Ihor Pateria and beaten him as well, but I'll get to that. Carlos Ulberg, he is on the cusp of the top 15 right now. The topology rankings worldwide, so not just UFC, uh, but worldwide, has Carlos ranked as the 27th best light heavyweight in the world. Uh, but he's going to have to defend this position as he tries to work forward up against the duelist Ihor Potiera uh, from Standard Pro. He's a mixed martial artist, an explosive fight finisher. And in fact, I mean, if you want to talk about explosive first round finishes, Potiera has 15 of them. 15 first round stoppages, 10 knockout wins, 6 submissions. This guy, he's not looking to outpoint you. So this is going to be a very exciting fight. Uh, from the get-go, from the absolute get-go, Potiera carrying a 19-3 and overall pro record into Charlotte this weekend, with 15 of his 19 wins being first-round finishes. So, look, I, I, I saw this guy on the come-up, and as he came through Contender Series, and he's a very exciting prospect. Didn't have the debut uh, that he would have liked, but... Nonetheless, nonetheless, I'll dial it back a moment, and the Ukrainian rode a 14-fight unbeaten streak into Dana White's contender series. It was his 15th consecutive win. He earns a contract with a first-round technical knockout. Uh, But then, Potiera, this unbelievable run of 16 straight wins, or 15 wins, sorry, uh, it ended in his UFC debut July last year. In brutal fashion, mind you, against Nikolai Negumarianu, someone that Ulberg most recently beat. Uh, so yeah, that one, Ehor kind of just seemed to tire out a little bit and just didn't, didn't have anything for Negumarianu in the second round. I'm pretty sure that was a performance of the night win for Negumarianu. Such was the emphasis of the finish. Uh, where are we though? Then January 2023, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. A first round technical knockout over the legend Shogun Rua. Now, Ihor did celebrate and that kind of was taken in poor taste. I was kind of like, come on, bruh. Uh, but at the same time, when you're locked in that cage, I, I feel like it's, it was a raw, natural kind of reaction to finishing someone the caliber of Shogun Rua. Like, Shogun Rua significantly passed his best. Like, in fighting terms, had passed his expiry date, no doubt. But this was one of the guys that got me into MMA uh, well over a decade now. I was only a young fella. Uh, Shogun Rua, just entering UFC, coming off the Pride days. Uh, He and Lyoto Mishida. That was one of the first... The light heavyweight division, in fact, was what got me into UFC and into mixed martial arts. Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, Forrest Griffin... And of course, Shogun Rua, Lyoto Mishida. Uh, to, so to see Shogun go out like that, it's kind of just the nature of the business. Massive win for Ihor Pateria to make a name for himself. But now he fights someone who is entering the prime of his career rather than the back end. So Ihor Pateria has a one-on-one UFC record, but I'd like to see what it, how he goes against someone who isn't about to retire, essentially. Now, the Tapology World Rankings has Potiera as the 39th lightweight worldwide, or light heavyweight, 
not a fucking lightweight. This is a Haas fest, as I said. Uh, but yeah, both guys in the top 40. And this is really to start making moves forward toward the rankings. Now, stylistically, I feel like someone's getting knocked out. Ihor Pateria, he's a fight finisher. Carlos Ulberg has so much power in his hands. So stylistically, look, I've picked a lot of fights to go to decision on this card. This ain't one of them. I think Ulberg, one thing that's quite underrated about his game, are the body shots. I think he has so much power uh, that he can really utilize with shots to the body. Ihor Pateria, I still have questions uh, about his cardio at the absolute highest level. So, I mean, if you're getting fucking kneed in the body, it does not help your case of being able to, you know, control the cardio. So I think if Ulberg can work the body, work the legs, uh, really use his clinch work and superior cardio, I think at some stage, Potiera is going to wilt. But if he doesn't, I mean, Ihor's stock will rise exponentially if he can get Black Jag out of there within the 15 minutes. Like all this hype that Ulberg has built up will be immediately snatched from him by the Ukrainian. Now for Ihor, 70, uh, 70% of his offense is to the head. I uh, say so it's kind of predictable. I think Ulberg will have a pretty good idea of how to counteract that. And Potiera lands just over 4.5 significant strikes per minute. Uh, so yeah. He lands, he lands a bit, but that's only over two fights as well in the UFC, but he absorbs more strikes, which probably comes into that Nega Mariano fight, but he absorbs just under six strikes. So it's hard because the numbers are skewed there, but if that is the case and Potiera ends up absorbing more strikes than he dishes out, he's going to get knocked out. Carlos Sulberg does not play around. He has the size, reach, and power advantage does the Kiwi, and I'm locking him in. I am locking it in right this moment. Carlos Blackjag Ulberg, how does he get it done? I reckon knockout. I do think knockout. Potentially decision, like he's not just going to rush in there and try to get his opponent out of there. We saw what happened against Nzechiku uh, when that kind of was the case. So he seems to have really turned a corner, has Ulberg. He's starting to get some highlight reel knockouts. And Poteria, whilst a super exciting prospect, I'm still not 100% convinced that he's up to the elite level of the UFC. Because all these crazy finishes, 15 of 19 wins, first round finishes, pretty much every single one of them was outside of the UFC. So I would love to see him start doing these things inside the UFC, but I'm just going to go with the more trusted entity here. Going to take Carlos Ulberg. I think he has top 15 ambitions. In fact, I actually saw he mentioned he'd like to fight and knock out Alex Pereira if he moves up to 205. So that'd be pretty juicy. And to get a match with Pereira, you're going to have to beat someone like Ihor Pateria. You lose that and you're not getting a high-profile matchup. So Carlos Ulberg, I think he's going to be focused and I, I think he's still entering his prime. We haven't even scratched the surface with Carlos Ulberg. So... We're locking it in, and we're moving up the card. Carlos Blackjag Ulberg over Ihor Pateria by knockout, and now we get amongst the next.
Coming up next, two stars of the welterweight division at different points in their respective journeys. As they go to war, we've got Irish ace Ian Machado Gary, the undefeated prospect, squaring off against the always hard-hitting D-Rod, Daniel Rodriguez. Now, California's Rodriguez enters this fight with an impressive UFC record of seven wins with only two defeats since rocking up to the promotion in 2020. D-Rod holds victories over the likes of Platinum Mike Perry, Lee Jing Liang, Tim Means, and Kevin Lee. Uh, so he's not just beating opponents, he's actually beating very high-level opposition, and over his time, over the last couple of years in the UFC, Daniel Rodriguez has undoubtedly cemented himself as a fan favorite, not just for his fighting style, uh, but also for his larger-than-life personality as well. Now, Rodriguez is looking to bounce back from a submission loss against Neil, the Haitian sensation Magni, last time out, which was end of last year. Uh, and as for Ian Machado Gary, the Irishman is undefeated at 11-0, with the 25-year-old enjoying a run of four straight wins under the UFC banner. The former Cage Warriors champion made his debut for the UFC with a first round, oh no, yeah, it was a first round. It was right at the end, very last second of the first round, knockout of Jordan Williams. Then back-to-back -back decisions followed for Machado Gary over Darian Weeks and Gabe Green. And then a TKO win last time out. Uh, not without some adversity in the first round, Machado Gary gets dropped, manages to rally and finish the fight, uh, although he was a significant favorite. So it's kind of what he was supposed to do, but it's a good sign uh, that he was able to come back from a rough patch there. Four straight wins under the UFC bright lights for Ian, the future Machado Gary. Jeez, there's a fucking few operators getting around with the future as a nickname. Anyway, six career wins by knockout slash technical knockout for Ian Gary. He represents Killcliffe FC and is a judo black belt. So very keen to see the next development in the career of the young Irishman. And the test? Well, it's a young stud on the rise looking to prove his worth against the toughest customer Gary has ever faced inside the octagon. That being D-Rod, he's the more experienced fighter. And look, Rodriguez wouldn't hesitate for even a moment to absolutely wreck this young upstart. So if Song Kanan can drop Ian Gary, I tell you what, Rodriguez can punish him. Now, Machado Gary, he's going to have to keep his ego in check because D-Rod does not fuck around and it could be a monumentally bad night for the kid uh, if he doesn't respect the power of Daniel Rodriguez. However, Gary is technically sound. He works with a great team at Kilcliffe, and I expect a quality showing. Machado Gary has composure for days, and I can't envision him being phased by this step up in competition. Seems like a very cool, calm, and collected young bloke. Now, back to Daniel Rodriguez. He has openly stated his goal. He wants to humble Ian Machado Gary, and now Gary made a few comments about how he's going to outstrike D-Rod. D-Rod? Well, he has something to say about that. He's going to come out looking to humble this young upstart. Daniel Rodriguez representing 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu and holding a professional record of 17 wins and 3 losses. 
Eight of D-Rod's wins have come by knockout, four by submission, and the man has five first round finishes on his resume. So if he can do what Kong, uh, fucking what's his name? Song Kanan, not Kong Sanan. Fucking hell. Uh, Song Kanan, if he can drop Gary, D-Rod definitely can. And I tell you what, D-Rod, if he drops him, he'll put him away. He, he won't fuck around, as I said. Uh, but as far as my prediction, I'm going to go Ian Machado Gary. Uh, as for why, I'm honestly very unsure about how this fight goes down. Daniel Rodriguez is that exact kind of opponent that can completely kill all the momentum Machado Gary has been building up. I think that's what makes this such a mouth-watering matchup, uh, is that now this is the true test for Ian Gary. He's had some decent opponents, but if he really wants to be the future, as his nickname suggests, he's got to start working his way through the ranks. And Daniel Rodriguez, I mean, that is as tough an assignment that you can get outside of the rankings. Don't believe Rodriguez is ranked right now. But the winner of this, right amongst top 15 calculations. I'm going to back Ian Machado Gary, though. Uh, as far as how, I'm confident Rodriguez won't get finished in this fight. I also don't see Ian Machado Gary as like a prolific finisher. So I don't see him rushing to try and chase the finish. Uh, ultimately, I see it going the distance. But I think Machado Gary is technically sound enough to have this work out in his favor. So we're going to lock it in and move on to the co-main event. I'm going to take the Irishman. Ian Machado Gary to get it done by decision. And now we move on to the next. Top 10 light heavyweights occupy our Charlotte co-main slot as Anthony Lionheart Smith, the fifth ranked UFC light heavyweight, squares off with the seventh ranked Johnny Walker, both of these guys aiming to work toward a title shot. So as far as what's at stake, there is a hell of a lot at stake. Anthony Smith, this could be one of his last opportunities to really make a run. He's had so many fights, it's crazy to think he's only 34. So, I mean, time is still on his side, but you've really got to strike while the iron's hot. So now is a very critical point in the career of Lionheart, whilst Johnny Walker is in the midst of a career revival. Now, when Johnny first bursts on to the UFC scene, he has accumulated so much hype. He's finishing guys in under a minute, and the Johnny Walker train was full steam ahead. Uh, but then between October 19, 2019, and February 2022, Johnny Walker loses four of his five fights. Uh, so he goes through a real rough patch, back-to-back -back losses, finishes Ryan Spann, and then gets two more losses. So Johnny Walker kind of looked like maybe it just wasn't going to happen for him. But now he's coming in hot off the heels of back-to-back first-round finishes, finishes Paul Craig and Eon Kutalaba. So those are decent names. That kind of brings you to this point here where he's taking on someone like Anthony Smith. Now, speaking of Anthony Smith, he was actually supposed to fight Jamal Hill earlier this year, uh, but remarkable circumstances around the division meant that Hill got a call-up to face Glover Teixeira in Brazil earlier this year. So with that, the Lionheart-Jamal Hill match gets scrapped 
they end up training together for the Glover Teixeira fight. Uh, but Anthony Smith, he has that whole Jamal Hill situation. We haven't seen him fight since, uh, but now he's back in action. Wins in three of his last four. Lionheart was riding a three-fight win streak and really starting uh, to make a run once again. Had victories over Devin Clark, a first-round finish over Ryan Spann, and beat the Australian Jimmy Crute. So three very credible wins. Then he takes on Magomed Ankalaev. Unfortunately, Smith uh, he picks up an injury during this fight on the way to a round two technical loss out. Uh, loss out? Fucking hell. I have lost my bloody mind. Technical knockout loss uh, against Magomed Ankalaev. Butchered that one. Now, Anthony Smith, his professional record, as I said, he's had a ton of fights. 36 wins. 17 losses. And the crazy stat that absolutely baffles me every time, 36 wins in the career of Anthony Lionheart Smith. 33 of his 36 wins have been finishes. This guy, he's not, he's not there to find out what the judge's opinion on the fight was. He is very much a fight finisher, a fight ender. 19 wins by knockout, 14 submissions, but then when you flip that and you look at Anthony Smith's 17 losses, it's also kind of the same. It's very do or die. So 10 of 17 losses for Anthony Smith by knockout, which is a massive, massive danger sign against an opponent like Johnny Walker. Now, Anthony Smith has 20 first round finishes. 20 first round finishes. Holy shit. And. Yeah, Lionheart, he's just as experienced as they come. The 34-year-old American trains at Factory X. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And the time is now for Lionheart to make a run for a second title shot at 205 pounds. Not going to be easy, though, against Johnny Walker with a record of 20 wins, 7 losses. 19 of Walker's 20 wins have been finishes. I mean, so everything on paper, when you crunch the numbers, it's pointing towards an absolute fucking banger. It's pointing towards a performance of the night finish either way. Like, this is really a win-win kind of fight. I think either way, the fans are going to win. Uh, and it's going to be a cracking contest. Co-main event, so it's got high-stakes feel to it. Sets us off perfectly for the main event that's still to come as well. And I mentioned, for Anthony Smith, 10 of his 17 losses by way of knockout, well, for Johnny Walker, 80% of his wins have come by way of knockout. 20 wins, 16 of those knockouts, one, three submissions and one decision. So 16 of 20 wins by knockout. I mean, Johnny Walker, he's got power, he's dynamic, he's an acrobat, very exciting style. And the 31-year-old Brazilian will be representing SBG Ireland. Now, when you look at the rankings picture, it's pretty clear that the winner of this definitely enters title shot calculations. Anthony Smith, he's been there or thereabouts for the longest time. But particularly in the case here for Johnny Walker, he's on a tear at the moment. Yes, he's had some amazing finishes, but this, in terms of his trajectory, is probably the best point he's been in this division. He's ranked seventh. He's on a run of a lifetime right now. He's producing finishes. And a win over Anthony Smith catapults him forward. 
I mean, if you look at who Anthony Smith was supposed to face last, Jamal Hill. They pulled Jamal Hill out, put him straight into a title fight. Such was the caliber of that bout. Now, who did Anthony Smith have before that? Magomed Ankalaev, who ends up fighting for the title uh, based off that win. So when you look at this, Johnny Walker, a, a finish here. I mean, it looks like Yuri Prohaska is going to be challenging Jamal Hill next. That makes total sense. So I don't think a win earns Johnny Walker a title shot here. Uh, but I think he wins and probably a five-round main event title eliminated next. Johnny Walker is so close. We've seen as well. Anthony Smith, you can't call him a gatekeeper. You can't be sitting in the top five and be a gatekeeper, in my opinion. He is still, I mean, it would be disrespectful to call him anything but a contender. But in terms of the phrase gatekeeping, like, he almost gatekeeps a title shot. He's one of those guys, you've got to beat an Anthony Smith to prove uh, that you're worthy of a title shot. So Johnny Walker finds himself in the biggest point of his career. Now, Anthony Smith, he's put his game plan out there. He said, Johnny Walker, my plan, I know this guy's going to be looking for the finish. I'm going to wait till he does something stupid, rushes forward when he shouldn't, and I'm going to catch him. So he believes that Johnny Walker's own aggression can work against him, but I, I don't know. If Anthony Smith tries to lure Johnny Walker in to be able to catch him, might not be the best idea, because if you give Johnny Walker a sniff, he'll fucking knock you out, he'll do the worm, he'll do all sorts. I love it. The worm is dope. I love Johnny Walker. Uh, now, we know Johnny Walker is going to have stoppage intent. Both of these guys are going to be looking to finish the fight. Uh, but what works for Johnny Walker here? Massive size advantage. He has the reach and he definitely has the power as well. I just can't go past that. I'm going to go with Johnny Walker here. He seems to be in that sweet spot of his career. And if he doesn't make a run now, he may not get another chance to really push for a title shot like his position right now. So it's not make or break, but you, like I said before, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. On the other side of the coin, Anthony Smith wins here. He's riding title shot calculations. So good luck to both of these guys. But yeah, just based on where they're at and the power and the size, I've got to go Johnny Walker. Now, he could very well walk into something against Anthony Smith and get finished. But I feel like if Anthony Smith's got that game plan, that's just going to suit Johnny Walker to a T. So how's he going to get it done? Knockout. I've been feeling knockout most definitely. So we're going to lock it in. We're going to lock it in right now. And we're going get, to get amongst the main event. I'm going to learn how to fucking speak English because I cannot string a sentence together other than this sentence. We're locking it in. Johnny Walker over Anthony Lionheart Smith by knockout. Could you have it any other way in a fight like this? One thing I know for sure, looks like we're getting a finish. So either way, I don't think I'm going to be disappointed with this one. And of course, this weekend, thoughts and comments, the podcast back better than ever. Everyone's been saying this is the best shit ever. I actually haven't had anyone say that, but I know you've all been thinking it. UFC Charlotte, thoughts and comments this weekend. I'll be sitting down, live reactions, to the entire card. You may have heard the UFC 288 Thoughts and Comments podcast. That'll give you an idea of what it's all about. Today's preview and predictions, more about asking some questions 
some what ifs, some speculation, whereas thoughts and comments is more about we have some answers to our questions. We don't have to speculate as much or we have a bit extra to speculate on what's to come. So it's going to be a massive card this weekend. I cannot wait to break down all the fights and I'm especially excited for this co-main event given it looks like a big finish is on the cards. In a top 10 matchup too. This isn't this isn't fucking Joe Bloggs versus bloody, I don't know, John Smith. This is fucking Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith. I don't even know where I'm going with that, so we're locking it in. And we're getting amongst the main. Johnny Walker by knockout. It's time for the UFC Charlotte main event. Doesn't get much bigger than this. And the fellas in our main event, quite frankly, don't get bigger than this. We have a heavyweight main event in Charlotte this weekend. It is going to be Suriname's Jarzinho, Biggie Boy Rosenstrike, ranked ninth within this division, colliding with the surging contender, the 12th ranked Brazilian, Jailton Almeida. I'll start with Biggie Boy though. Rosenstrike with a 13 and 4 record, 12 of 13 wins. By knockout. He is a big, powerful hitter, and immediately this caught my interest. Stylistically, Jailton Almeida has been dominating his opponents, but with this step up, the top 10 level competition, he faces his most dangerous opponent yet. Jazinho Rosenstrike has knockout power uh, like few others in the division, so Almeida is going to need to be very wary. 12 of 13 wins for Rosenstrike by way of knockout. Nine of those in the first round. And Rosenstrike, after some lean form, he's got himself back in the mix. He had back-to-back losses, uh, but last year, very end of last year, a 23-second knockout of Chris Dorcas. Jarzinho Rosenstrike, what a way to re-establish himself in the heavyweight picture. And now, he has to fight backwards against a star on the rise. Uh, but a win here for Jairzinho, and there is no doubt in my mind, he fights Ford next. He fights someone ahead of him in the rankings. Now, Rosenstrike is a 35-year-old kickboxer. He trains at one of the best gyms in the world, American top team, and carries a UFC record of seven wins and four losses. So Jairzinho, undefeated outside of the UFC, all four of his losses uh, throughout his career have come to the absolute most elite heavyweight in the world. But I'll talk about Jelton Almeida for a moment. Maladinho on a 13-fight win streak on an absolute run, 18-2 pro record. So he has lost twice, 13 straight wins though, and all 18 of Almeida's wins have been stoppages. So, I mean, this is a juicy, juicy top of the card here. We've got big hosses, who are ready to throw down. We've not got big horses who are going to go five rounds, 25 minutes, try and outpoint each other. These guys are going to be trying to tear each other's fucking heads off, and I cannot wait to watch it. Now, for Almeida, I mentioned all 18 of his wins have been finishes, seven knockouts slash technical knockouts, 11 submissions, 13 first round finishes. So this guy is dangerous wherever the fight goes. Uh, and especially in the early stages. 
The 31-year-old Brazilian has a boxing style as well as a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and he trains at LG System, which I don't know a lot about that gym, to be honest, but fucking hell. <laughs> they must be doing all right things because Jelton Almeida is one of my favorite fighters in the entire promotion. He carries a 4-0 UFC record, has not lost in the promotion. Three of his four UFC wins have come within one round. He has wins over Danilo Marquez, Parker Porter, Anton Turkali, and Shamil Abdurakmanov. So he slowly worked himself up, but this is a completely different kettle of fish. Massive step up in competition for Jailton Almeida against someone... Look, Almeida's had two losses. One of them was by knockout. So it's not like he's never been knocked out before. And I, I would assume the guy who knocked him out isn't as fucking scary as Jarzinho Rosenstrike. So stylistically, this one intrigues me a hell of a lot. You've got Almeida, great striking, but it's his lethal ground game and his ability to pick up the biggest units and drive them straight into the mat and keep them there until he can finish the fight. So the lethal ground game of Almeida, definitely a huge point in his favor. But then the thing that makes this so tantalizing stylistically is the fact that Jarzinho's got such a threat in the stand-up. It only takes one big shot. He's got the power to absolutely shut Almeida's lights out. So Almeida would probably be wise to want to take this one to the mat. But of course, these guys are professional fighters. They have training camps. We all know, Jarzinho knows exactly what to expect here. He's going to be training with the best in the world at American Top Team, coming up with a very sound game plan as to how to keep the fight standing. So Almeida, look, Jarzinho knows what's coming. And in Rosenstrike's favor is a massive experience advantage at UFC level and also a significantly higher level of competition. So this is not the biggest name opponent in Jarzinho's career. It is the biggest name opponent in Jailton's career. Uh, so I'm so keen on this. The second I saw this fight announced, I was like, shut your lips. And then once I saw it was main event, shut your lips times two. And I'm just, I'll say it right now, I'm a huge, huge Jailton Almeida fan. This is a guy that, yeah, I think he could be on the trajectory for a title shot. And with John Jones as the champion, for how long? Torquay might retire, but you've got like Sergei Pavlovich uh, amongst a few others. So Jarlton Almeida is one that excites me a lot. Like I would love to see, for instance, Jarlton Almeida versus Sergei Pavlovich. That in itself, a crazy stylistic matchup. And that's the level that I have Jarlton Almeida on. I really do think this guy has top 10 written all over him. And he has the chance this weekend to break straight in to the heavyweight top 15. Surprisingly as well, slight height and reach advantage for Almeida. Huge, huge guy, very naturally gifted. Uh, but given that he's fought a lot at light heavyweight, even started his, his career at uh, welterweight, I really did expect that Jarzinho would have the size advantage, but slight height and reach for Almeida, and he's also deceptively strong. Watching his fights, the way he picks up these huge heavyweights and just drives them into the mat, it looks effortless, effortless, like I said, can't speak English, 
Uh, but it's not. He works so, so hard to have these performances, and we're seeing the fruits of his labor. Now he is here, knocking on the door of the top 10, but he needs to impose his game plan. Because if he can't control the fight, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, he's going to get a lot of confidence, a lot of belief, start getting in his face, and Jarzinho will do what Rosenstrike does. Knock people the fuck out. So I love this as a main event. Um, now, finish factor in this one, high. I can, it could go the distance, but I'd be absolutely shocked. If Ro- Rosenstrike wins, knockout. If Almeida wins, finish. So, yeah, finish factor in this one at an absolute premium. And in terms of crunching the numbers, the one thing I wanted to look at was takedowns. Because for Almeida, that's how I see him winning this fight, taking Rosenstrike to the mat. Now, Rosenstrike has 75% takedown defense. Very solid, but not great. There aren't a ton of heavyweights as well that are trying to take him down. Curtis Blades was one, but he was successfully taking him down. That's how he won the fight. Now, Almeida has 71% takedown accuracy. So decent numbers, but yeah, where this fight gets very interesting is if Rosenstrike can keep it standing. If he can manage to just not get taken down by Almeida, then the pendulum swings heavily in favor of Biggie Boy. Now, how does this one play out? Like I said, I'm just so, so high on the talents of Jailton Almeida. I reckon he gets a finish here. Uh, Submission was what I was thinking all weekend, uh, some kind of choke. But then I'm also like, Jairzinho has a very thick neck. And going back and watching all the tape, there were several times for Almeida where he's had opponents grounded, he's on in top position, looking for a submission. Uh, but when he's not quite able to lock one up, he just sits up and just starts raining down punches. He's won a fair few fights uh, by technical knockout through just raining down punches on top position. So all week I was thinking submission, but I reckon Rosenstrike's going to have have a few answers. So ultimately... What's Almeida do if he's on top, can't get a submission, rain down punches. And I do think Biggie Boy, a little bit more vulnerable to being finished uh, by strikes than by a submission attempt. So look, either way, I have Jarlton getting the finish. Submission, I don't know, was what I was feeling all week, but we're going to make a last minute change and we're going to lock it in. UFC Charlotte this weekend, our main event of the evening. Top 10 heavyweights colliding to work toward a title shot. Make no mistake about that. I'm going the prospect. I really do believe the hype is real. And to be honest, it's not even, he's not even got a huge amount of hype. Like He's obviously got a, a stack of hype, but comparatively to some of the other guys, he's not really being talked about a ton. I think that changes this weekend. I think he comes out with a huge finish. And anyone who wasn't already on the Jarlton Almeida bandwagon, there's still room. I think we're going to see thousands and thousands more people get on board with this guy. I really do believe he's the real deal. I feel the same about Jairzinho Rosenstrike as well. He is such an experienced guy, and I can see him as a huge underdog, being able to spoil the party. But I'm just so down with Jarlton Almeida. Like... I've been following him for quite some time now, and he hasn't, he hasn't wronged me yet, so I'm going to go with what I know. 
and that that is this guy is an absolute stud. We're locking it in. Main event of the evening, Jailton Almeida over Jarzinho Rosenstrike by technical knockout. I think he gets him to the ground at some stage, probably early, to be honest. I, I really think that's just what I'm envisioning is Jailton Almeida taking Rosenstrike down to the ground. Maybe Biggie Boy manages to get up one or two times, but I just think the constant pressure, 25 minutes of action, it's going to wear on the man from Suriname. And I think Jelton Almeida, he's just made of the right fucking stuff. Let's put it that way. Lock it in. Jelton Almeida by technical knockout. And that has been the UFC Charlotte Predictions Podcast. Uh, so very excited to launch into this whole card for the Thoughts and Comments Podcast this weekend. Uh, what I'll be doing, as I usually do, I'll watch the prelims and then come in just before the main card. I'll give a wrap of what's gone down in the prelims. And then we're going to go fight by fight reactions. So some thoughts before each fight on the main card. Some comments after. That's why it's called thoughts and comments. And why this one's called predictions. Because I've just banged out all the bloody predictions. Hour and a half. Seems like a, a good time to call it. I don't need to waffle on. Thoughts and comments. Be there or be square. And that is it. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you loved it. I hope it changed your life. And I'm sure it did. Well, there's more life-changing content on the way. This Sunday, thoughts and comments. Don't you dare bloody miss it or I will be extremely upset. So yeah, just keep that in mind on Sunday after the fights. If you don't keep in, oh, tune in to thoughts and comments to listen to my fantastic English speaking. Very upset I will be. But very happy I am that you listen to this podcast. Hopefully the picks get up. Coming off an all right weekend. Last weekend, eight wins, three losses. I want to I wanna go a bit better this weekend, so let's get amongst it. There's really nothing else to say, is there? At Not Just a Sports Report on Instagram, if you like the content, give us a follow. Uh, again, if you don't, I'll be seriously upset. So, yeah, balls in your court. Thanks for listening. And I forgot to say, of course, most importantly, have a fantastic weekend and enjoy the fights. <laughs>